Hey, Rockbridge, I hope you all are doing well. Hope everybody is having a fantastic summer. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you all five of our locations, Hickson, Dalton, Ringgold, Chatsworth, Calhoun, or maybe you're watching online or somebody gave you a CD or something. Hey, we are delighted that you've tuned in for us as we're in this series called Songs of Summer. We're also in a season where we take a lot of mission trips. We talk about living scent at Rockbridge. That means, you know, you go to your work, you go to your family reunion, you go to your neighborhood or you cross an ocean. Uh, we live sent. We represent Jesus and we tell others about him. So I want to ask for all of us to be in prayer as we have some trips that are underway and one that's about to be underway. So our, we have a family mission trip that goes to Florida. They're coming back this weekend excited about what they've done and ministering to some families. We have a Ukraine trip that leaves on Thursday, July the 5th. They'll be crossing into another continent to uh, work together and share uh, Jesus. And you, if you're interested in any of our trips, there is an easy part of our website. You can just go to robbers.cc forward slash go or excuse me, backslash go, and you can you know, just get information or say, hey, I'm interested in learning about this country or this trip, and one of our country coordinators or trip leaders will reach out to you, and you can follow along on social media at hashtag RBGo18. So I just got back from uh, Ethiopia, so I'm a little jet lagged. If I fall asleep up here, wake me up. Uh, but <clears throat> great trip. We just want to tell you one story that's important for you to hear because you, if you give to Rockbridge, you have helped finance and fund the the story I'm going to tell you. So with our church partner in Ethiopia, we have helped plant a church in Ethiopia in, in, an, in an area of the country that is 99% Muslim. There is no gospel presence other than the church that you have helped fund, the missionaries that you have helped support. So a couple of years ago, I showed you a picture, if you were here, of a, of a lady who is plus 100 years old who converted and became a Christ follower. And that's very difficult given age and tradition and a family background. Well, I, I was talking with our pastor, um, Pastor Mabrate, a dear friend of mine for, in Ethiopia, and he was telling me that she has passed away, went to be with the Lord, and our church that we partnered with in Ethiopia got to preach her funeral and proclaim Jesus. <clears throat> and so, listen, we, we, you can live sent. When that offering basket goes around, you, our budget is designed not to just spend money on the four walls of this, of this building, not just to spend money on, on us as rock bridgers, but to spend money on them, the hurting, those outside the faith, those in extreme poverty, those that need to hear the story of King Jesus. So thank you for giving. Thank you for going. Thank you for living sent Rockbridge. All right, so every now and then, I think it's useful. You, you, every now and then, life causes you to ask a question. And every now and then, I think it's useful for us to ask a question. And the question is this. What in the world is going on? Okay? You, you've seen the news occasionally. And you're like, what in the world is going on? You've gotten news. Your family, your job, your health, uh, a sudden this, a sudden that. And you say, God, what in the world is going on? And sometimes you've been blessed or sometimes you've been favored and you're like, pinch me, what's going on, you know? I mean, so it's just a great question for us to ask. And it's a great question and a healthy question for us to ask because sometimes, is it not true? It's true for me. We get in our own little world, our own little bubble, and we lose connection with what's really going on. When I say really, I mean ultimate reality kind of stuff, ultimate what, what's really happening in the world that we inhabit. And when I say what in the world is going on, here's what I mean. 
when there's a disruption to your status quo. And that can be either good or that can even either be bad. So today I was like kind of clicking through some leadership blogs and I had this what in the world is going on moment because do you know this weekend Toys R Us will close its last store? I mean, what in the world is going on, right? I mean, Toys R Us is going to go out of business and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Because memories there, you know, when I first became a parent, I mean, this, you know, we're a Toys R Us family kid, right? Uh, but I was reading this uh, blog and it basically listed three reasons why Toys R Us has, has gone, uh, is going out of business. And what was interesting is every reason it said, in the beginning, they did this. Now they do this. And it was customer service. It was first impressions. It was all these kind of things. But in the beginning, and it looks like to me what happened is they got out of their lane, so to speak. They got away from what was their core brand, their core identity, their core business. And they just moved away from what, was, what is foundational and what is fundamental. So when we ask this question, what in the world is going on? I'm inviting us back to our origins. I'm inviting us back to kind of our purpose, you know? So if you've asked this question, hey, what in the world is going on in my marriage? And, and let's say you came to me or, you know, or a counselor. Eventually, we're going to have to talk about three things uh, to get marriages healthy. We're going to ha have to talk about forgiveness, time, and kindness. Those are the three things. Every time it's going to come back, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with, it's going to come back to that. It, hey, what in the world is going on with my parenting? We're going to have to get back to clarity. We're going to have to get back to consistency. We're going to have to get back to, do we really care? I mean, just all these things will go back. Like if, you're a, if you've been in athletics or sports and you've, your team's not doing good, and you hey, what in the world is going on? You're eventually going to get back to X's and O's, blocking and tackling, dribbling and shooting, hitting and fielding, back to the basics. So when we say, what in the world is going on? Ultimately, that's going to take us back to the heartbeat of what's really going on in this world. So we're going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter, last couple of verses of Acts chapter 7, and we're really going to be in uh, Acts chapter 8. And, and this is why I love the Bible so much, because the Bible is like uh, me giving you or a, a microscope or a telescope or a new pair of glasses or a pair of binoculars. You can see things through the scriptures that you cannot see through your naked eye. And I'm going to hope and pray that this story helps you and I get back to clarity and answer the question today. What in the world is going on? Acts chapter 7. We start reading in verse 59. So here we got a guy named Stephen who's one of the first leaders in the church. Maybe a deacon we might, we might call him today. So he's being killed for preaching a sermon about Jesus. What in the world is going on? So while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He's being murdered. Said, Doc, God, don't hold this sin against them. What in the world is going on? And after saying this, he died. So a prominent leader of this infinite, or excuse me, in, this movement called Christianity that's in its infancy, that's just getting out of the gate, so to speak, loses a prominent leader. And then we get it, go to chapter 8, and it says, Saul, and, and Luke, who writes the book of Acts, is going to tell us more about Saul later. But Saul, who ends up writing half of our New Testament Bible, agreed with putting him to death. So Saul's trying to kill the church, stop the church. On that day, a severe, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. What in the world is going on? 
How, how does Christianity escape persecution by, by the Romans, by the, the Jewish religion? What in the world is going on, God? How are you, you know, this is your story. Jesus just rose from the dead, and they're going to try to squash it out by genocide or martyrdom or murder or whatever you want to call it. So it's a disruption to this status quo, and we ask our question, what in the world is going on, which really invites us to a more poignant, more important question, which is really, what is God doing in the world? And see, you've bumped up against that question. I've bumped up against that question. Something has happened in America as we move into the week of the 4th of July. Something has happened in your life, in your story, in your circumstances. And you're like, God, what are you doing? God, what in the world is going on? And are you even in charge? And some of us, you know, we won't say that out loud in church, but we believe it in our heart. God's not really in charge. It's just kind of chaotic. If it's to be, it's up to me. God's sort of maybe on the throne somewhere, but he's really not in control of my deal and my world. God, what are you doing? God, what in the world is going on? So we have this new movement called Christianity. You're here today because you're part of that movement. How did it get out of Jerusalem? How did it survive? What in the world is going on? Stephen's dead. Saul is alive trying to kill the church. And a severe persecution breaks out against the church. What in the world is going on? The story continues. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Luke is a good historian. He wants us to note times and places. All except the apostles, that's important. So all except the people who saw and walked and studied with Jesus. About 12 people. We've lost Judas, we replaced him. So all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, if you've been reading Luke or Acts through, from chapter 1 on, these are, buzz, these are buzzwords. That there's been a scattering outside of Jerusalem, and now we're in Judea and Samaria. And so Luke is giving us a clue. He's, he's a good writer, he's a good historian, and he's a good editorial, editorializer because he's teaching us something. So we're saying, hey, what in the world is going on? And Luke's readers are like, hey, I've read something about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Where is that? And they flip back a couple of pages, or they ask the, the oral reader, to, or the, the, whoever's reciting this, to say, hey, didn't we talk about that a few paragraphs ago, or a couple hours ago, or last week, or whatever? And they're like, yes, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, let's go back and review. And here's what it says. So when they had come together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Are you coming back? Lord, what in the world is going on? Jesus, what are you about to do? You've risen from the dead. That's a big deal. You're telling us you're leaving. Are you bringing the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to reestablish David on the throne? Kick out the Romans? Is this the second coming? Is this, the, you know, we might call it today. Is this the rapture or the end of times coming? Lord, what in the world is going on? And he gives them an answer and it hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Now listen to me. This is very important. Wherever you sit in life, wherever you are as a person or a human being from all walks of life, whether you're dealing with cancer or you just got a big promotion, wherever you sit, Jesus right here, right now gives you the eyes, the words that tells you what in the world is going on or rather the way I would prefer we ask it, what is God doing in the world? If he's not going to answer this question, which he's not, he's going to tell us what he's doing. Here's what he said to them. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So do not worry or guess when I'm coming back. 
Because here's really what's going on. You will receive power, supernatural power, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. God has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. You will begin to tell people about me. And here's where you're going to do it at. Here's what in the world's going on. In Jerusalem, which is where we are when we hit our story, in all Judea, ding, 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 and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, this is what's going on. What is God doing in the world? And this is the answer. Just got back from Ethiopia. We got people go at trips going all the time, even in Dalton and Hickson and Chattanooga and Chatsworth and Ringgold and Calhoun. In America, what is God doing? What is God doing in the world? God is getting his word out, period. That's it. That's what he's doing. And, now this is going to, some of us are going to push back and not like my answer. And he's going to use the death of Stephen and the persecution of his church to get them to go share the word. Because what in the world is God doing? He's trying to get his word out. Let's look through the book of Acts, just in case you don't believe me. You know, we need to, you know, the word of God's our eyes. So watch, the, watch what Acts describes. 6, 7. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. 12, 24. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. 13, 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. 19, 20. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. What in the world is going on? The word's getting out. Jesus is king of kings. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has the answer to our sin, death, and guilt problems. That's what in the world's going on. There's an empty tomb in the Middle East. And there's an occupied throne in heaven. And that's good news for you and for me. And that is what in the world is going on. So, what is God doing in the world? It's this. He is getting his word out about his son through the persistent proclamation of his, uh, through the persistent proclamation of his disciples who are empowered by his spirit. His disciples are his followers, his people, his church. His disciples are getting the word out wherever they go to the ends of the earth. That is what God is doing in the world. That, that's where you, we will bring everything back to this right here. This, if you're a football guy, this is blocking and tackling. If this is, you're a basketball person, this is dribbling and, and, and shooting. This is the core of your, if you're a business person, this is core. This is the core purpose. This is the core activity of the business. This is what God is doing in the world. This is what in the world is going on from the perspective of God, from the perspective of his scripture. So we just sang a song, and what we're doing in this series, we're singing a song before the message because it's teaching us something. We're going to re-sing it after we teach it scripturally after the message. So we sang this great song called Kingdom Here. Listen to what we sang. We said, until people hear, until the orphan knows the love of Father, until the captive hears they've been set free, we will tell, the word's getting out, the story. We will stand and proclaim in the power of your name, let your kingdom come. 
That's what we're talking about, that the word is getting out about the kingdom of Jesus. He has conquered death. He's made a way for sinners and rebels like you and me to be right with God, to come into God's family, to come into God's kingdom, and then become ambassadors and churches to become colonies of heaven to proclaim that word so that more people all over the world come into his kingdom. That is what in the world is going on. So the church, back to Acts chapter 8, so the church is under heavy persecution. We know what in the world is going on, so what happens? So it says this, well, devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. So they have a funeral for Stephen because he's a leader in the church. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women and put them in prison. It does not look good for Christianity, yet God is committed to his work. What God starts, God completes. What God begins, God finishes. And what in the world is going on? God is trying to get his word out. So now Acts 2 and 3 doesn't look like that's going to happen because it looks like the word, the word proclaimers, the word speakers are being put in prison. So Acts 4 says something amazing. So those who were scattered, which is everyone but the apostles, went on their way. And then there's a, there's a blank right here. Now what would you expect? You put yourself in their, in their shoes. You've been kicked out of your house. Your family might have gotten separated on the way. You've only grabbed enough clothes for however, whatever you could grab on your way out the door. So you're scattered from your home city. You're scattered from your hometown. And what would you expect it to say? They were mad. They were depressed. They were bitter. They were cynical. They were shaking their fist at God. They were doubting God. I mean, that's what I would put in the blank for Matt Evans. You know, I mean, I'm sitting there watching the big game. And then there's a knock at the door, and I got to run. What in the world is going on? I'm mad. I'm bothered. I'm cynical. I'm depressed. I'm 5,000 things. But what in the world's going on? So those who were scattered went on their way <coughs> preaching the word. Boom. Why? Why weren't they mad? Why didn't they get bitter, cynical, frustrated, depressed? Because they knew what in the world was going on. Because they knew God was committed to getting the word out of Jerusalem about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the King of Kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the answer to our sin, death, and guilt problems. They knew all that. And they're like, okay, this is of God. Because we're moving. And as we go, we will share and show and preach the word. We will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Why? Because we know what in the world is going on. So, now that we know what God's doing in the world, and now that we know what in the world God is doing or what in the world is going on, we got some temptations. Because as a church, we are invited, we are commanded, we are called to participate in what God is doing in the world. Not what we think he should do. Not what we want him to do always. Not what we would prefer he do. But we are called to participate in this proclamation. In this witnessing. In this testifying. Of wherever God puts us. Wherever life takes us. We are to preach the word. That's not just my job. That is our job as the church. We always say, well I don't have a call to preach. You don't need to listen to the voice of God when you have a verse from God. 
There is verse after verse that says it is all of our jobs to do this right here. That's what God is committed to. That's what God is doing in the world. That's what in the world is going on. So we have some temptations that we have to overcome. Probably similarly as they had to overcome this when they went through persecution that forced them to leave Jerusalem. I just want to share some temptations. Try to arrest those so you and I can see clearly and cooperate passionately with what God is doing in the world. Temptation number one is this, that we let what is happening in our world cloud what God is doing in his world. This is when we get nearsightedness and it becomes about the house we just left in Jerusalem. It it, it becomes about the disruption. It becomes about the inconvenience and, and we forget and we look at our world and this is all we see and we don't see, man, God's got a greater plan. God's got a greater purpose. He's trying to get his world out. So listen to what I think the church at Jerusalem knew that we need to see. The temptation is to let what is happening in your world cloud what God is doing in his world. Here's what God intends, that what is happening in your world would serve what God is doing in his world. So in your world, Jerusalem Christians, you got to run because the church is under persecution. And as you run, you know what God's doing. So let what's happening in your world serve what God is doing in his world. Preach the word as you run, as you flee, as you go. Now, see, here's the temptation for you and I, right? And it's a spiritual issue. The temptation is to either complain or grumble or argue or get frustrated or to shake our fist at God at the disruption to our status quo. That, that's the temptation. Or, or, or the temptation is to complain about our first world problems. You know what our first world problems are, right? You know, you're having car trouble. The sale at Nordstrom's wasn't, wasn't big enough. You know, that's a first world problem. Now, l- now listen to what Paul tells us later about this. He says this in Philippians 2, do everything. You don't have to know Greek to know what everything means, okay? Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation in a world that needs the word among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the Word of life. Now, what is Paul saying? Hey, things are going to happen, and your temptation is going to be complain and grumble. But because you know what God is doing in the world, because you know what in the world is going on, you have a perspective, you have a purpose, and you have power, and you have a passion, and you hold on to the word of life, and you speak the word of life in everything. So so here's what this means. When things happen to us, the, the, the immediate reaction, the fleshly reaction, the human reaction is to get mad at God, to complain, to qu- say, God, why? God, what is going on? Or to c- get bitter or to get frustrated. But really what we need to do is pray something. Because if God has promised, Romans 8, 28, to work everything out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If God has promised that he will complete his work, Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If God has promised to get his word from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, when we have a, a persecution breakout, when we have a disruption breakout, when we have a what in the world is going on moment, then our real prayer, our real problem is is not to, to get mad, is not to get frustrated, is not to get bitter, is not to complain. It is to believe 
that God can use Saul and the death of Stephen and God can use cancers and God can use economies and God can use bad business days and God can use anything he wants to get his word out. So our prayer needs to be the same as the prayer of the father in Mark 9 when Jesus told him he could heal his son. And the father of the boy cried out, Mark 9, 24, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe. God, I believe you want to get your word out. God, I believe you will use everything for my good because I have been called by you. I am a disciple. I am a child of yours. But God, I, I'm tempted to doubt. I'm tempted to grumble and complain. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Temptation number two. Now that we know what in the world is going on. Temptation number two is to let what is happening in your world silence you from speaking what God is doing in his world. If Satan can't keep you out of heaven, he wants to keep your mouth shut about heaven. He wants to silence you. And he'll use so many things to try to take you out of the game. He'll use pain. He'll use problems. He'll use shame. He'll use guilt. He'll try to do anything to keep a Christian from speaking because he knows the kingdom advances from people speaking preaching, singing the word of Jesus, as we've seen in the, in the book of Acts. So sometimes we'll let what is happening to us silence us from speaking what God is doing in his world. We'll let the pain take us out of the game. We'll get sidelined. We'll get sidetracked. So I, I want to speak to something. Because sometimes... When we experience pain and when we experience loss and we have those moments on, on sort of a negative spectrum where we say, God, what in the world is going on? I want you to know something. God has purpose in all that. If you can't see it, help my unbelief. But here's his purpose. If his purpose in persecution was to get his word out, his purpose in your pain is to help you do something. Listen to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us, it says, in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. We speak the Word of God to people in pain because we have received the Word of God to bless us, comfort us in our own pain. God has a purpose in all that. So we can't stop speaking. We can't take ourselves out of the game. So sometimes we go through adversity. Sometimes we go through bankruptcy in, our, in life, and bankruptcy relationally or bankruptcy emotionally. So sometimes bad things happen. But I want you to hear me. What's the old advice if you fall, about, if you fall off a horse? To get back on. Now, sometimes you may need to heal. But get back on. Because what is God doing in the world? He's using people like you and me to get his word out. And, and you got to understand something. Listen to me, Christians, because so many Christians get silent when they go through adversity. So many Christians are like, I'm just waiting for something to click. Listen, when Satan's attacking you, when life is attacking you, when life is bad, hear me. A Christ follower's defense is actually to be on offense. There's a lie. Satan's attacking me. Let me say something. Here's a promise from Jesus. Peter, on this rock, the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, on this rock, I will build my church. 
So if you're called out, born again, you're part of the church. This, so this promise is for you. Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't overcome. Gates are defensive. What does that mean? We're on the attack. With what? What's our weapon? Glad we asked. Ephesians 6, 17. Here we go. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and fight. Sometimes the best defense is a great offense. So Christians, we ought to devour the Word of God and then declare it because we're on offense. Don't let Satan take you out of the game. Don't let life take you out of the game. Don't let the question, what in the world's going on, take you out of the game because you know what in the world's going on. You may need to pray, Lord, help my unbelief. You may need to say, I believe, help my unbelief, just like the Father did. But don't be silenced because the kingdom advances through the Word of God. Because here's what you need to know. If you are a believer, you have a God story. Don't be silent. You have a B.C. to A.D. moment. You have a, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without Jesus moment. Tell the story. The world needs to hear it. Be clear about the hero. Okay? Be clear about the hero, which is Jesus. But tell the story. The people, here's what, here's what I know. Here, here's what I know. I know life is hard. I, I know bad things happen to good people. I know things happen that make us say, I don't believe anymore. Help my unbelief. I, I know we want to say what in the world is going on. But let me just say something, Christians. Listen, 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 listen. The people out that door, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your job, the people in your family that do not know the good news of Jesus, you have the answer. You have the hope. You have the solution to their sin, death, and guilt problem. Do not be silent. Last temptation. Last temptation is you take everything I said and you say, who me? Not me. Last temptation is this. Everything I've said, you're like, yeah, not me. That's for the super Christians. That's for the guys on stage that they put microphones on. That's for those staff people. I want you to see the word of God. Okay, in the book of Acts, we just read it. Luke, Luke says something so important, and Luke is a great historian, so no detail is unimportant when he writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts, okay? He says, everybody left Jerusalem except the apostles. They were the, they were the staff. They, were the, the, they would be the guys with the microphone. They would be the Billy Grahams. So who goes preaching in Samaria? The quote-unquote regular Christians. They're not even named. Luke doesn't even name it. See, so, somewhere along the lines, we bought into this lie. You know what the lie is? There's professional Christians who are supposed to do all the work, and we just sit and watch them work. You know, you know where that started from? We started ordaining clergy. Like, somehow, you know, we're not, we're not all in ministry, just I'm in ministry. And, and what would happen in the Middle Ages is the, the priests would come in, they would turn their back to the people, and they would do all these things to, the, to take the Lord's Supper, and, and you would just sit and watch. And you were passive watching the priest perform. And, and somewhere along the lines, 
in the book of Acts, we see Christianity is a high participation movement. And somewhere along the lines, it became a high passive religion. It became more about monument than movement. Maintenance than movement. Listen, if you are saying, who me, not me, that is not biblical. If you're saying, who me, not me, read the story again. Everyone except the apostles. So who went preaching the word? The unnamed, ordinary Joe Christians. Because they had a story. What was their story? There's an empty tomb in the Middle East. There's an occupied throne in heaven. There's a Holy Spirit living in me. And I'll tell the story. And then Luke zeroes in real specifically on one, one of those, everyone but the apostles people. It's a guy named Philip, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. So what did he do? He spoke the word. There it is. Told the story. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. As they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And so Philip speaks the word and demonstrates the power of Jesus. So, so there's, there's like threefold way that we platform and proclaim the word of God. And, and you have this, these opportunities. It's the word of God spoken by his people. It's the spiritual gifts of his people and the good deeds done by his people. And those three things working in concert together are how we proclaim and declare and tell people, here's what in the world's going on. Here's the answer to your sin, shame, and guilt problem and death problem. Here's the hope you need, the identity you need. Here's what you were made for. Here's what in the world is going on. This is what we do. And see, Rockbridge, we're talking about this, right? We're talking about going on mission trips. We're talking about hope. We're talking about mentoring kids, where we live. We've got extreme poverty and extreme lostness right here in the Bible Belt. We're talking about, hey, get mobilized. God has made every single single one of us a perfect 10 in something that's called a spiritual gift, administration, service, preaching, prophecy, intercession, etc., etc. He's made a perfect 10 and you give that gift to the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. And then if you are a believer, you have a story. And if you can tell a story about going to a great movie, going to a great restaurant or going to a great fishing hole, guess what? You can tell the story of Jesus, your BCAD and just be clear about the hero. And so the result of all this is what we should be praying for our five cities and for our great country. So there was great joy in that city. Now, let me, let's be clear, okay? This is not the joy of, hey, our hometown team won a state championship. This is not the joy of, hey, we just landed a big job creator, and we're so fired up. This is not the joy of, hey, our unemployment is at a record low. This is not the joy of, hey, we're getting a Dunkin' Donuts, baby. Okay? This is a joy that can't be taken away. It's the joy that comes from knowing there's an empty tomb in the Middle East, an occupied throne in heaven, and a God who's interested in you being a part of his family, you being a part of his kingdom, and using you to tell the story. And that's why we're here, because that's what in the world is going on.
So as we move into the 4th of July, I want to encourage you to think about our nation. You know, and I talk about the sins of our nation a lot, but let me talk about three amazing things that make me thank God for America. And these three things work together for us to be able to do something. Powerful. Three things are this. America is founded on the principle of religious liberty. Religious liberty. This came about because some Baptists were being persecuted in the 1760s and 1770s. Their preachers were put in jails. And they worked together with our founding fathers and said, we need to protect religious liberty. And Virginia passed a law that got written in to, the first, to, our, to our Bill of Rights when those were added to our Constitution. Our nation has biblical foundations. Not all of our founders were Christians. Some were deists. Some were not sure about the Trinity. Some weren't sure about the, the Bible. But there were biblical foundations. Even two of the founders, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, who weren't so sure about everything in the Bible, do you know what they together proposed our national seal would be? It didn't happen. But they proposed that the seal of America was Moses standing before the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh with his arms over the sea. And underneath that, there was going to be this statement, rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. So there's religious foundations in this country. That's great. And perhaps most importantly, is America by and large has peace and quiet. Even when people go protest, and it is their constitutional right to do that, it's generally peaceful. There's generally not machine guns out. I was in a country last week that had civil unrest, and there were machine guns out. And machine guns were fired. And we began praying over this town, these verses, that to me are are verses that have been answered prayer here in America. And here's the verses. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior. And what does God want? He wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And how does that happen? Because of the decisive work of the Holy Spirit and the essential work of followers of Jesus speaking the word of Jesus to the people of the world who need to know the reason for the hope we have. And so we, ladies and gentlemen, have amazing opportunities in this amazingly great country to tell the story of our amazing King of Kings and Lord of Lords whose beautiful name is Jesus. Let's pray together. God, first of all, I want to thank you. Wow, God, I just want to thank you for telling us what's going on, for dying in our place, for inviting us to be a part of your family, by your blood. It's a blood-bought invitation. God, for giving us a story and a joy, God, that is so deep and so beautiful and so eternal. How can we not tell the story? God, I want to pray your blessings on America, on our leadership, the local, the state, the federal level. 
God, I want to pray that you would help our nation to have this peace and tranquility. But that, God, we as Christians would not see that as an opportunity merely to increase our own comfort, but rather an opportunity to be bold with your cause and bold in telling your story, both here in our country, in our cities, and, God, to the ends of the earth, because that is what you are doing at this time in history. God, I believe every person here that is a Christ follower has someone in their life that probably needs to hear, hear the story. God, give us opportunity. Give us boldness. And God, may we be faithful. May we be faithful in why we're here. May we be faithful and bold in telling the story. So God, before we give our offering, we're going to sing back to you the lyrics, this song that we've preached on. And God, may this be our declaration to you. May this be our de desire to be fully obedient, that we speak and sing this back to you, God. God, I pray that this church would be a church that lives sent, a church that proclaims the name of Jesus. We tell our B.C. to A.D. story. We can be clear about the hero, which is you and you alone, King Jesus. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that we know what you're doing. And you've invited us to join you. Find us faithful. Find us faithful. And may we tell your story. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray.